Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets with Remy, Tino, and Mike, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts. Tino often talks about removing emotions from investing, but that's easier said than done. Oftentimes, the logical choice is not the comfortable choice. Today, we're going to talk about the emotional choices that not only investors make, but often the choices that financial advisors are faced with in making recommendations. If you have any questions, comments, or would like us to discuss something on the show, please email us at comments at onmarkets.com. Also, if you like the show, don't forget to hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. Mike, you were listening to a podcast recently that talked a little bit about this. Uh, fill us in. Yeah, since we've been doing the podcasts, you know, we've done this, what, two or three months now, and I find myself listening to a variety of other podcasts to get some ideas of either things to talk about or maybe elements that they have in their podcast that we might want to add to ours. And I've been listening to one called Revisionist History. It's a Malcolm Gladwell podcast. He talks about all kinds of different things. And I was listening to one the other day and they were talking about hockey. For those of our listeners that are not hockey fans, hockey is a six on six sport and it's usually five players and a, and a goalie. And when a team finds itself down uh, at the end of a game, and if it's a close game, it's a pretty common tactic for the team that's, that's losing the game to pull their goalie in favor of another attacker in order to increase their odds to score. You know, they usually do that if they're down by one or two goals. And it usually happens at, you know, maybe the 60 or 90 second mark, uh, 60 or 90 seconds left in the game. So someone had done a study and they did analytics on, you know, what the possibility is of, of scoring and actually tying the game and what's the most optimal time to actually pull the goalie in favor of another attacker. And what they determined was that if a team is down by two goals, the optimal time to pull the goalie is at 11 minutes and four seconds left in the game. That seems outrageous. Wow. Wow. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a team pull a keeper with any more than a minute left in a game. Right, it's usually a minute, you know, a minute and 15 seconds, something like that. Because the risk is you're leaving your goal wide open and the other team can score, you know, two or three goals pretty easily. So no one would ever do it at 11 minutes and four seconds. And then they went on further to say if the team is down by only one goal, the optimal time to pull your keeper is like six minutes. Again, it seems like it's an eternity. And the conversation was sort of wrapped around, do you coach using analytics or do you coach using sort of what the fans want you to do? And, you know, baseball has really embraced analytics, right? But that's, a, I think, an easier sport to coach using analytics. Hockey is so much of an emotional sport. And it's so fast moving. No hockey coach, even if they knew that their best chance to win the game is pulling their keeper at 11 minutes and four seconds, no hockey coach would ever do it because the fans would go bananas, right? They could lose the game. You know, if they're losing three to one, they might lose 10 to one. And the, the bad PR and the fans would just go nuts. They'd get destroyed on talk radio and, and all kinds of stuff. So they literally do the thing that the fans want them to do. And they don't do the thing that would actually give them the highest probability of winning the game. I mean, what difference does it make if you lose three to one or you lose 10 to one? It's still a loss. So I started thinking about how does that apply to what we do? We frequently find ourselves in positions where we'll suggest something to a client that we happen to be working with that to them is is distasteful or it sounds crazy and they won't do it. And it puts us in a position of how hard do we push and how hard do we try to convince someone that this makes good sense versus the discomfort that they, you know, that they experience from trying to make that decision. So how often do you push? 
For me, it's largely dependent on the person sitting on the other side of the table. If I really believe something is the right thing, I tend to push pretty hard. But if I'm making somebody uncomfortable, I'll back off because the risk is that you lose a client too, right? You're making someone so uncomfortable, they don't feel comfortable working with you anymore. You know, I will usually try to make it pretty clear that I believe this is the right thing to do, but if it causes you to lose sleep at night, you know, you have to weigh that as well. But it's it's just interesting. I never really thought when I started listening to a hockey analogy that it, that it would become a, a topic for our conversation on the podcast, but it really did sort of resonate with me. I'll extend your analogy a little bit there, or your I guess your example. You're talking about how some fans might not be happy. They'll get skewered on talk radio if they were to pull their goalie with 11 minutes to go. Uh, there's another issue is that, that coach might lose their job. We're all self-interested in this world. And, and let's let's bring that back to our world for a little bit, or at least my side of the business on the asset management side. I see it all the time. The, the writing's on the wall. You need to do something in a portfolio or an asset allocation. And you sit there and you say, man, if I do this and I'm wrong, what's the downside? I'm probably going to get fired or I could potentially get fired or maybe not that extreme. I might not get my bonus this year, whatever it may be. So even though you know it's the right thing for the portfolio, or at least the numbers tell you it's the right thing to do, you still don't do it. I'm also curious as to the financial advisor themselves, right? Because to stick with the sports uh, analogy, if you remember a few years ago in, in the Super Bowl, the, the Patriots Seattle Seahawks game, a minute ago, I believe that the uh, the Seahawks had, I think maybe it was a first and first and five or a second and five. I think, they had I think two it was, or three second, shots I think to, it was like second and six. And like yeah, the they, two had, they had two or three or shots to punch it into, into the end zone. And, you know, they had arguably the best running back in the league at the time. Everybody wants them to just hand it off and run it. And they throw it three times and lose the game. The coach of the Seahawks is well-established, well-liked, and has a history of winning. He made the decision to throw it three times, which Mike, you and I were talking uh, a little earlier, which apparently is statistically the correct move to make. I wouldn't have made that choice. And I think uh, 10 million Americans around the country wouldn't have made that choice. But that's the choice he made. He went with what statistically was the, the correct choice, and it was wrong. But he was able to absorb that. He was able to take criticism afterwards, and he was able to retain his job because he had tenure, because he had the respect of the league, the respect of the team, because he had a proven track record. A younger coach, you know, I don't think they can absorb that. In that same situation, a younger, less established coach is probably fired. Yeah, if that's a first-year coach, he's done. Right. And, and he probably doesn't get another head coaching job for like 10 years. Exactly. This maybe speaks to the importance of working with an established financial advisor because somebody who's established and has that track record for success, they might be more likely to push you to do something that may be a little bit uncomfortable, but is the right choice. And they may be able to absorb that quote unquote loss if it doesn't happen to be the right choice. I mean, you know, not everybody knows what's going to happen. Financial advisors aren't... Uh, fortune tellers. Listen, that's where a, uh, that's where a gray beard comes in handy, right? I, it, it, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, for real, you know, I, I'm always, you know, looking for younger advisors to, to add to the practice. And, you know, I meet some guys that are really bright, but they're 26 and, you know, clients have a hard time taking them seriously. It's like when you walk into the doctor's office, you know, the doctor's 20 years younger than you are and you, you look at him and you go, you know, where's, where's the real doctor? It's unfortunate, but you do judge people that way. And I think it's a little bit of what you're talking about with the coaching thing too. I hate going into a doctor when they're like 30. Oh, uh, it's so <laughs> it creepy. Me, no, I'm with It makes you. me feel uncomfortable. Like, I feel like yeah. this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's only 30 years it, old. Yeah, it might be age discrimination, but I really don't care. You're going to cut me open and you look like you're younger than me. Zero shot. 
<laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> You're not really making a, a case for the younger financial advisor here. No. <laughs> Well, look, I mean, you're right. There's something to be said about experience. You know, you can, it, look, I mean, when, when I got started in the business, I'm sure we all have stories like this. I mean, I, I did a lot of, I, I read a lot on the history of markets. Uh, I was very up to speed on you know, the Great Depression, the stagflation in the 70s, all these different things that I read about. But until you actually live through, until you invest through a, a bear market, uh, until you see craziness, like, for example, what's going on this year and last year, you can read all you want about it. But until you actually get that experience, it's, it's not going to necessarily, I don't think, benefit you quite the same way. Well, it's one thing to read about something, wh- whether it's in, you know, investing related or not, you know, a, a historical incident of some sort. You know, I might read about the, the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? It, so I logically understand what happened. But you know, having been, you know, like three years old when that happened, I don't have any idea what it felt like. I don't have any idea what, you know, what the sort of public opinion of it was at the time. I mean, I'm, I'm dependent on somebody's retelling of that years later than their impression of it. So I'm curious, Mike, on your side of the business, and we talked about this last week, Mike is on a client facing side of the business. And, and we already talked about what it's like for the financial advisor, but Tino as an asset manager, when you have financial advisors that are coming to you and saying, my clients want X, and you know it's it's just not appropriate. It's it's just the wrong model to build. It's just the wrong portfolio to uh to maintain. I, you know, what do you what do you say? Do do you create what the client is looking for? Because obviously, you know, we need to provide a product that's in demand, or do you push back and say, Yeah, I, I know this is what the client wants, but this makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, that's a good question. Like everything in this business, it depends. I think there's a happy medium when it, when, it, when it comes to listening to what the clients are looking for and what the market's telling you and making sure that that matches up with your philosophy. You know, there's uh, so many ways you can skin a cat in this business. Uh, there are making money in markets. You could do a day trading. Uh, despite what people tell you, you can actually make money trading uh, all the way to doing Warren Buffett style investing, which is holding companies for decades. Uh, and everything in the middle. In, in the middle, I think where you run into problems is when you try to do things that aren't in your wheelhouse or aren't in your specialty. You know, we we focus more on longer term investing, uh, less on the day to day and the movement of the markets. So if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, I want to do something with meme stocks that's you know day trading in and out of them on on a day to day basis." That's when I push back because it's not that I don't fundamentally disagree with you. Well, I, that's part of it. But the other, the other part is I don't feel like I could bring that value to the table. I don't feel like I'm going to get you to where you want to be, whether I agree with it or not. So I think that's really the, the, the differentiator. I mean, last year, I'll give you an example. On the other side is that we had a couple of clients come to us and say, hey, you know, we want a portfolio or we want, to, we want exposure to a lot of the companies that got really beaten up during March and April of last year. You know, the airlines, the hotels, the, all, all the stocks that everybody was saying were going to go under. And we, we met that demand. We said, okay, we'll put a portfolio together. Why? It wasn't necessarily we were trying to trade the market. Is that that was a valid request. Look, there were a lot of companies that were beaten up and we took our fundamental analysis or we felt that we could take our fundamental analysis that we use on companies and apply it to that situation to create something for those clients. So Remy, to go back to your topic, what it made me think about a little bit is, you know, Tino's in a little bit different position than I am from a perspective of Tino is having that conversation with advisors. So, you know, how much of the discomfort is at the advisor level versus the client level when you start to talk about doing something that may be unconventional. You know, Remy, you and I were in the 
the wholesale business for a long time. And, you know, how often did we talk with advisors that you sort of felt like you couldn't get through to them, right? They had an idea of what they wanted to do with the client, even though you may have had a better idea, they had their own biases. And you felt like you might've had a great idea for the client, but you knew the advisor was never going to bring it to them. So, Tino, I got to assume that you experienced that as well, dealing with advisors. All the time. You're right. It's in a weird way, as an asset manager, you have two different customers, effectively. You've got to win over the financial advisor to the point where they're not just capable, but also willing to win over the client in, in a recommendation. You know, So for a good example right now is you, you take conventional approaches to, let's say, asset allocation. So you own some cash, you own some bonds because they're quote unquote safe. That is something that we're, you know, we're questioning quite heavily. We've been questioning for over a year now. And when you bring a recommendation, let's say, for example, a moderate investor where you're saying you need to own more stocks than you normally have in the past, uh, that's, that's met with a significant amount of resistance at times, primarily because a lot of advisors don't want to change or, or they're, they're too afraid to, one of the two. And it's, it's really difficult to communicate to them in a way that they're willing to pass on that recommendation to clients. So you've got to, you've got to convince the advisor to pull his goalie with 11 minutes to go. And then you've got to convince him to convince his client to pull the goalie with 11 minutes to go. That's a, that's a pretty big, it's a big ask. Yeah, it's a big ask because to Remy, you said at the beginning, none of us have seen somebody pull the goalie with 11 minutes to go. Or if it's happened, I haven't seen it. So it's a very new foreign concept. And even, even Mike, you, you telling us that I kind of cringe a little inside. I'm like, God, that's, that doesn't sound right. It just yeah, doesn't feel all. right. <laughs> well, because the reality is you're probably going to lose the game and you're probably going to lose it big right? You're probably going to lose it either way, but your best chance to win is to pull it at 11 minutes. So it's either, it's either give yourself the best chance to win and probably lose big or lose close and people find it more palatable to lose close, I guess. So we've based this conversation on, on a dire situation, right? I mean, typically you pull the goalie when, again, it's, it's a minute left. You pretty much have no shot of winning and, and it's, it's a Hail Mary, right? To mix sports analogies, yep. I guess. But how often does it happen at a smaller scale, do you think? How often, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis when the risk isn't as dire as it is in that situation, are decisions being made merely to adhere to somebody's comfort level versus what may be statistically the best choice to make? I think it depends on the situation. It depends on the advisor. It depends on the client. It, it's, it reminds me of, uh, of Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs did whatever he wanted to do with Apple. It's like, you know what, let's take the CD-ROM drive out of, out of the computer. I mean, people were having a stroke, but he just did it because he could do it. He had, he had established himself to the point where he, he had a track record and this is what we're going to do. That's actually a great, great analogy, actually, because yes, he did get to that point. But before he got to that point, he also did some of those things and got fired from Apple. He got fired right? from him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. And, and it took yeah. him how long to get back to that point and then to have the reputation to be able to now push those things forward and not have to worry about being fired. Right. So he's probably the ultimate example of, of both sides of the coin. Yeah. And listen, he, he had the intestinal fortitude to do it twice. Right. It worked the second time. How many people th does that happen for? Yeah, not many. But, it, but it's, it's the Henry Ford thing, right? If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. 
This podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management, LLC and Darwin Advisors, LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and there can be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.